The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 9, to the chief musician, to the tune of Death of the Son, a psalm of David. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish at your presence. For you have maintained my right and my cause. You sat on the throne judging in righteousness. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. O enemy, destructions are finished forever. And you have destroyed cities. Even their memory has perished. But the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall administer judgment for the peoples in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed a refuge in time of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare his deeds among the people. When he avenges blood, he remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the humble. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble from those who hate me. You who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may tell of all your praise. In the gates of the daughter of Zion, I will rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk down in the pit which they made. In the net which they hid, their own foot is caught. The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Meditation, Selah. The wicked shall be turned into hell. And all the nations that forget God, for the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Okay, we are in Joshua 4. Like the last two weeks, we're going to have information galore today, and then next week we'll get the understanding of what is going on. Just like in chapter 3, we had a sermon, and then the resolution to what's going on there. So you'll get a lot of information today, and then think on what you hear, and maybe you'll get some of the typology and understanding of what's going on. But Joshua 4, verses 1 through 14, this is entitled 12 Stones, part 1. And it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, take for yourselves 12 men from the people, one man from every tribe and command them saying, take for yourselves 12 stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. And each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. 
that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so, just as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. Then Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there to this day. So the priests who bore the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people, according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua, and the people hurried and crossed over. Then it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over, that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the people. And the men of Reuben, the men of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed before the children of Israel, as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. As you know, the Lord works through various literary devices in order to reveal himself and his intentions for us. We constantly see typology concerning something anticipating Christ, the law, and so on. There are metaphors where one thing is equated to another, such as the tongue being a fire, a world of iniquity. Various things like water, a stone, or an olive tree will symbolize other things. When seen, they are very consistent in their representation. Numbers are like this. In today's passage, we will see 12 men of Israel select 12 stones that are to be set up later. Stones have their own meaning as do the number of them. After they set up these stones, Joshua will set up another 12 stones in order to make another picture. These will have their own meaning as well. But there is also the truth that 12 and 12 equal 24. And so it is an obvious number to consider. A.W. Bollinger says, 24 being a multiple of 12 expresses in a higher form the same signification. It is the number associated with the heavenly government and worship, of which the earthly form in Israel was only a copy. We are told that both Moses and David ordered all things connected with the tabernacle and temple worship by direct revelation from God and as a copy of things in the heavens. And the sevenfold phrase, as the Lord commanded Moses, witnesses to the divine ordering of all. It was so with the 24 courses of priests in the earthly temple. These were formed on the pattern of things in the heavens. Our text verse comes from Revelation 11. It's verse 16. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God. Bollinger says more about the number 24, but you get the point. It signifies heavenly government and heavenly worship. Here we have two sets of 12 stones. How would that fit into what is being said? That is, if it does at all. We won't answer that today, but it is a good thought to consider. For now, we have a sermon full of information to look over. 
It will be a sermon that will necessarily be followed by another in order to understand the entire chapter and what it is telling us. This means that if you are hearing this sermon now, unless the Lord comes for you by death or rapture, you'll need to be here for part two next week. Yes, the rapture would be far preferable if one of the two happens, but there is no guarantee of that. As such, it is always best to be prepared to meet your maker on friendly terms and always be prepared for whatever lies ahead. Death, rapture, another sermon, it is all in God's hands. But where you go, if it is your death, is in yours. Jesus has made the offer. Be sure to respond appropriately. And one thing is for sure, what he did in order to make that offer possible continues to be pictured in today's verses. I hope you will enjoy what we see today and will consider it while waiting for next week's sermon. Great stuff is to be found in God's superior word. And so let us turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I've got a couple of thoughts for you today. The first is the waters of the Jordan were cut off. It's verses 1 through 9. And it came to pass, verse 1, when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, rather than people, it more appropriately refers to the entire nation. And it was according to which finished all the nation to cross through the Jordan. As noted in Joshua 3, the word over is better translated as through. This is to fit the typology repeatedly used of faith in Christ in the New Testament, such as Romans 3. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through, dia, through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. As for the narrative, it continues exactingly from the previous chapter with the words that detail the fulfillment of what was just recorded as chapter 3 ended. And all Israel crossed through on dry ground until all the people, the nation, had crossed completely through the Jordan. And then, when all the people, the nation, had completely crossed through the Jordan. The focus is not on individuals, but the entire nation. But more. It is a term, Hagoy, used at times when speaking of the nations of Gentiles and the nation of Israel when they are in a state of disobedience. As such, it is as if it is saying this uncircumcised nation had crossed through. It is what was seen in the previous sermon, the salvation of Israel, that Paul wrote about when he says that someday all Israel will be saved. It is not saying that every Israelite will be saved, but as a nation, those who are a part of it, when it calls on Christ, will be saved. It next records, verse 1 continues, that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, rather it reads, Vayomer Yehovah el Yehoshua lemor, and said Yehovah unto Joshua to say. The difference between said and spoke is small but it carries the general sense of working together rather than simply speaking forth a command. Joshua is told to, verse 2, take for yourselves 12 men from the people. Even though the Lord is speaking to Joshua, the words are in the plural, take for yourselves. The order will be transmitted by Joshua to the tribes because each tribe was to select a person. Also, it now rightly says the people. 
of the people who have crossed and in fulfillment of verse 312, this action is to be taken. Here's what it said there. Now, therefore, take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe. Verse 312 said from the tribes, but here it says from the people. But that is then next explained by verse 2 continues, one man from every tribe. Ishechad, Ishechad, Mishavet. Man one, man one from tribe. Again, it is a little different from 312. There it said from the tribes, plural. Here it is from tribe, singular. But the meaning is the same for both. One man is to be taken from each tribe of the people. Verse 3, and command them saying, the plural continues here, and command you, plural, them, saying, the Lord is speaking to Joshua in the manner in which Joshua is to speak to the people. This pictures Jesus in John 12, 50, where it says, therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. And he is to say, verse 3 continues, take for yourselves 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan. Lift to you from this, from midst the Jordan. This takes us back to verse 317. What does the term midst of the Jordan mean? Is it referring to between the cutoff waters? Half was cut off upriver and half continued downriver? Or is it from the middle of what is a normal flowing river? At this point, it would appear to be the same thing. But the next words must be considered. Verse 3 continues from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. Mimatsav ragle hakonim hakin. From post feet the priests established. There is a new word here, matsav. It is a standing place or a fixed spot, figuratively a garrison. And that is how it is most often used. The priests had posted themselves firmly as if a military garrison, remaining unmoved until the task was complete. As such, the waters had separated and the bed of the river was dry. Hence, referring to the post where the priest's feet are would be the area of the actual separation of the waters. All of the people maintained a 2,000 cubit separation from where the priests were, but these men went to that exact location and obtained their stones from there. Once obtained, verse 3 continues, you shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. And having carried them through with you and having rested them in the lodging place which you remain in the night. The word yanach signifies to place, set, lay down, and so on. It is derived from the same as nuach, to rest. In this case, using rested gives a better typological hint as to what is happening. It is the responsibility of the chosen men to each select one stone from where the priests posted themselves to carry it with them from that spot to the place where the people would encamp and rest it there. That will be identified in verse 19 as Gilgal. Verse 4, Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. This is now the fulfillment of the Lord's words from the previous verses. It is also a repetition of what was said in verse 312. There it said again, Now therefore, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe. There is no contradiction here. The Lord's words would have come first, and Joshua's words of chapter 3 follow after, even though they are recorded first in the narrative. 
With this in mind, and in fulfillment of the word, Joshua calls unto these twelve men whom he had prepared, one from each of the tribes. Verse 5, And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. Ivru lifne Aaron Yehovah Elohechem el tok hayarden. Cross through to face, meaning in the presence of, Ark Yehovah, your God, into midst the Jordan. This is the direction that Joshua was told by the Lord to convey to these men. Verse 5 continues, And each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder. Vecharimu lachem ish even achat al shikmo. And raise up to you man stone one upon his shoulder. It is a different word than in verse 4, 3. There it was nasa, to lift or to carry. This is rum, to raise up or to exalt. The stone is not only to be carried, but to be raised up and placed upon the shoulder. The shoulder signifies the place of bearing a burden, as in a yoke. As such, it emblematically signifies authority and or responsibility. For example, it says of the Messiah in Isaiah 9 that the government will be upon his shoulder. The burden of the government and thus the responsibility for it will be his. The stone signifies establishment, as in setting up a pillar. It signifies permanence. That which is established is set to stand firm. It signifies resiliency and strength, as in that which is fixed and unyielding. These 12 stones were selected, verse 5 continues, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. Although the meaning is understood, rather than according to, K, it simply says to, le, le mispar shivte bene Yisrael, to number tribes Israel. There are 12 tribes and there are 12 corresponding stones. These are selected in order, verse 6, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come. There is an emphasis in the words. It is not just that the children might ask, but they will certainly ask. Be'en, on the end of that word, is a stress. To end purpose shall be this sign in your midst for certainly asking your children tomorrow. The word tomorrow signifies in the time to come. A sign is not a thing in and of itself. Rather, it is something that points to something else. As such, when the children see it, the question is to then receive a response as to why they were set up in the first place. Bearing the emphasis in the words, any time after the day the stones are set up, it is certain that those who see them will ask. Verse 6 continues, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Lemor ma ha'avanim ha'elelachem. To say, what? The stones, the, these, to you. Plural, it's to many people. It is a general question to any and to all who are aware of their purpose. The question is on the same lines as that which accompanied the Passover, where the children were bound to ask, what do you mean by this service? There is an intended meaning beyond the thing itself, pointing to its ultimate purpose. In the case of these stones, verse 7, then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. With some differences, it is similar to the words of verse 5, that were cut off water the Jordan from face, meaning in the presence of Ark Covenant Yehovah. 
Here the words were cut off waters brings in a change in the terminology concerning the ark. Verse 5, ark, Jehovah your God. Verse 7, were cut off waters, ark, covenant, Jehovah. The ark is the place where the Lord is present. In using the words cut off waters, the covenant is remembered. As was noted in chapter 3, the word karat or cut off is what is used when a covenant is made or literally cut. Remembering the symbolism already seen, the waters, the life of the descender, Jesus Christ, is cut off in an act of cutting a new covenant. Thus, it explains the difference between Ark, Jehovah your God, which is Jesus, the embodiment of the law, and Ark, Covenant, Jehovah, the sacrifice of Christ. Verse 7 continues, when it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. The repetition of the Jordan more perfectly helps to give us the appropriate mental image. In his crossing through the Jordan were cut off the waters, the Jordan. The ark is where the presence of the Lord is. As such, translating it his is not inappropriate. It is a masculine singular word. But more, it much more clearly helps us make the connection to Jesus, who is the embodiment of the law, and whose life was cut off in his descending from heaven to fulfill the law. Understanding this, we can now translate it in the form of typology. In his, Jesus, in his crossing through the descender, were cut off life, the descender. Think of Jesus. This is the sign of the stones. As such, verse 7 continues, And these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And it shall be the stones, the, these, to memorial to sons Israel unto futurity. This is what the sign of the stones is to be. It is to point to that which God has done in the cutting off of the Jordan. But that is given in typology of Christ. We saw that in chapter 3. We're seeing it again now. As the stones eventually were moved or lost to history, one might say, hey, that's a failed sign. But that is incorrect. The sign is recorded in the Word, and the Word continues to this day. It has always been with Israel. And so, in the reading of the words, the sign still exists, even if the stones are gone. That is an important point to remember, and that will be expanded upon later. Verse 8, And the children of Israel did so, just as Joshua commanded, Ka'ashur tziva Yehoshua, according to which commanded Joshua. Here it shows compliance to the words of Joshua, the leader, remembering that he anticipates Jesus the man, who is the Messiah and Israel's true leader. The wording will more clearly reveal what is intended. The children of Israel did so, verse 8 continues, and took up 12 stones from the midst of the Jordan. The stones came out of the place where the priests stood in the midst of the Jordan, meaning where the waters were cut off. This was accomplished, verse 8 continues, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua. Ka'ashur dibur Yehovah el Yehoshua, according to which spoke Yehovah unto Joshua. The words of John 12, 50, cited above, are clearly indicated in what is stated here. Therefore, whatever I speak, 
Just as the Father has told me, so I speak. The people did as Joshua, the Lord Jesus, spoke. And Jesus, the man, did as the divine Lord spoke to him. The communication within the Godhead is clearly revealed in this. From Father to Son, the God-man, which reveals God's intent from the divine to the human. This is the anticipation of the future when Israel will finally heed the words of Jesus as he conveyed them from his father, and it is seen in typology after the death of Moses, meaning the law, when Israel finally realizes what they have missed for so very long. For now, it is, verse 8 continues, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, le mispar shivte bene Yisrael, two number tribes sons Israel. The number of stones, as before, is 12. As there are 12 sons of Israel, descending from them come the 12 tribes of Israel, meaning all of Israel. Next it says, verse 8 continues, and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And crossed through them with them unto the place and rested them there. The designated representatives for the tribes crossed through the Jordan with the stones. As they are designated to represent each tribe, it is as if all of Israel accomplished this. Hence, and the children of Israel did so and took up 12 stones and carried them through with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. I took out the intervening clauses and you can see what's going on. It is as if all of Israel is accomplishing this. The action of the 12 men is reckoned as the action of the entire congregation. The 12 stones are reckoned as the action of the 12 men. What happens to them happens to the congregation. The stones were rested at the designated place. After that, verse 9, then Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan. And two ten stones raised up Joshua in midst the Jordan. There's a ton of speculation concerning this. Some believe that this should read mitok or from midst. This is how the Aramaic Bible reads it. Because of this, and because of the seemingly pointless nature of setting up stones that will be covered with water, some translations run with this, such as the NIV. Here's what they say. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. This then would make it in agreement with the pile to be erected in verse 20, which says, And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua raised up in Gilgal. However, this is not what the Hebrew says. It says, In, be, the midst, not from, m, the midst. All Hebrew texts say this, all of them. The Greek and the Latin, both translated out of the Hebrew, also say this. But more, both of these, the Greek and the Latin, qualify the words by using the word other, other 12 stones, to make sure that there is no error in this. Alos dodeca litos, alos means other, and then the Latin says alios quoque duodecim lapidis, to ensure that it is understood that these were not the same stones. These other 
12 stones were hekim, or raised up, verse 9 continues, in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood. Tachat matzav ragle hakoanim nose aron haberit. Under post, feet, the priests bearing Ark the Covenant. By saying under, it signifies in place of. In other words, it wasn't just in the general area, but in the exact spot where the Ark of the Covenant had been borne by the priests. Therefore, it is a memorial in itself to the covenant that is derived from what occurred. And the covenant is set forth as 12 other stones. 12 means the perfection of government or of governmental perfection. With these noted, it says, verse 9 continues, and they are there to this day. Vayiyu sham ad hayom hazeh. And they are there to the day, the, this. Where the priests stood is of less importance than the fact that they stood in the overflowing waters. In other words, if they stepped into the waters on the bank and the descending waters ceased and they continued to stay right there on the bank of the Jordan, it is no different at all than if they proceeded into the middle of the empty basin and stood there. The point is that the waters were descending, they were cut off, and the priests with the ark stood where the waters had been. The rocks may have simply sat on the banks of the river in full sight. When the Jordan overflowed, the rocks would be bathed in water. Or it could be that the priests moved into the middle of the Jordan and the rocks were covered over, which seems unlikely based on the fact that the people could still see them, as it says, to this day. Or it could be that the rocks set up in the middle of the Jordan could have been whopping in size, even big enough to not get washed down the river and large enough to rise above the flowing waters. Or the priests could have walked into the Jordan and ascended a large boulder so that everyone could see them. When Joshua set up the rocks, it was exactly on that boulder where they stood. And when the Jordan flooded again, the rocks were there in full sight. It isn't worth fighting over what cannot be known. However, I would go with them being set up on the riverbank right where the priests first stood. They stepped into the overflowing waters and the water ceased. And that is where they stayed all along. What matters is that Joshua raised them up. Joshua, nobody else. Both here and in verse 19 to come, that they represented the waters that were cut off and that they stood as a witness to what occurred. As noted, even if the stones are no longer there, the sign is recorded in the word and the word continues to this day. How do I know? Because I've got it in my hand right now. Okay, therefore, the sign still exists. What are these stones for? Why are they there? Are they just something someone raised up for fun? What are they there for? Should I care? Who can I ask about what has been done? Surely these rocks were raised up with purpose and intent. They are a witness to what the Lord has done. They were taken from the descender when the waters were spent, like when the life ceased in God's own son. They have been raised up for all people to see, and those who understand will glory at what God has done. When the waters of the descender were cut off completely, when the life left the man from heaven, God's own son. Our second thought today, the Lord exalted Joshua. It's verses 10 through 14. This section begins with a marvelous set of words. Verse 10, so the priests who bore the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan. And the priests bearing the ark standers in midst the Jordan. 
With the immense number of people crossing through, this process could have taken a while, and I mean a long time. However, the priests never stopped their standing and bearing the ark. Verse 10 continues, until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people. Until finished all the word which commanded Jehovah Joshua to speak unto the people. Again, as in verse 316 and 317, the word tamam or finished is used. In 316, it was referring to the waters being finished. In verse 317, it referred to the nation finishing its crossing through the Jordan. Now it is referring to the word that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people. But that is next stated as, verse 10 continues, according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. According to all which commanded Moses, Joshua, suddenly, and with seemingly no obvious reason at all, Moses is reintroduced into the narrative. It is the Lord who has been commanding Joshua, and Joshua has either done what the Lord said directly, or he passed on the command to the people. There's nothing recorded concerning instructions from Moses in regard to this operation that has taken place. And yet the people's entrance is based upon all the word that the Lord commanded to Joshua. And that is based on all that Moses had commanded Joshua. It is as if the words of Moses, the law, continue on until Israel has fully passed through the Jordan. Are you getting this? I see a smile on your face. He's got it. Verse 10 continues. And the people hurried and crossed over. And hastened the people and crossed through. There's a sense of urgency, but it would not be one of either weak faith or fear. The people understood that the waters above are being held back and that the priests bearing the ark would not move until all was complete with what was surely a sense of appreciation for the priest's efforts and the anticipation of entering into the promise, the people rushed across in joy and in confidence. With this complete, verse 11, then it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over. Though the intent is the same, it more closely reads, and it came to pass according to which all the people completed to cross through. The precision of the wording tells us that every person had crossed through, and only then it was, verse 11 continues, that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the people. Here, the most basic term is used, Aaron Yehovah, ark Yehovah. It speaks of the ark, Jesus, the embodiment of the law, and Yehovah. It is clearly a reference to him as the God-man. Further, the priests are mentioned after the ark. The priests signify the priestly role of Christ Jesus. Thus, it is Christ in his duties being named after Christ in his person. Together, they now cross through lifne ha'am, two-face, meaning in the presence of the people. With that noted, necessary words of compliance are stated. Verse 12, and the men of Reuben the men of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed before the children of Israel as Moses had spoken to them. This is in fulfillment of what was said in Joshua 1 and which had been previously commanded by Moses to these men. 
from Joshua 1. Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is giving you rest and is giving you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan, but you shall pass before your brethren armed all your mighty men of valor and help them until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he gave you and they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it which Moses the Lord's servant gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. The words before the children of Israel do not necessarily mean in front of them. Rather it says to face meaning in their presence. It is a necessary inclusion to be included at this time. Of them, there were, verse 13, about 40,000 men prepared for war, crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. The Hebrew is more precise and doesn't say about. It says according to 40,000 drawn off for battle. In other words, at the very recent census, there were more than 70,000 men of age to fight. However, these were drawn off from that total to begin the campaign with the other tribes. After that, others could be rotated in and out while a contingent stayed with the families and the farms east of the Jordan. These men, however, came along Lifne Yehovah la milchama el arvot yerecho to face, meaning in the presence of Yehovah to the battle unto plains Jericho. Verse 14, on that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. This was what was promised in the previous chapter, Joshua 3, 7. And the Lord said to Joshua, this day, I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. It then takes us back to what was said there concerning Joshua and everything that was to occur and which has now been recorded as having occurred. I'll read you again what I've read you for two sermons. The priests bearing the ark are the material cause. Their entry into the Jordan is what makes the thing like wooden a table to be. The formal cause, the design, is the parting of the Jordan. The efficient cause, what brings it about, is the Lord's presence working on behalf of Joshua, and the final cause, the purpose, is the exaltation of Joshua in the eyes of the people. And this is exactly what has happened. Verse 14 finishes with, And they feared him, as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. The final clause is speaking of Joshua, not the Lord. To make it clear, it can be rephrased, And they feared him all the days of his life as they had feared Moses. The highlight is upon Joshua, noting that during his entire life, from that point on, Israel feared him because he had been exalted by the Lord in the eyes of all of Israel. With that stated, our verses for today are done. Like chapter 3, the final verses have to be completed before we can then fully understand the typology that is being seen here. Enough of it has been explained for you to possibly, and Sergio probably, have a pretty good idea of what is going on, though. In the end, all of this is given in typology to point us from the type, Joshua, the priests, the ark, and so on, and to lead us to the antitype, Jesus. He is the fulfillment of all of these things. And yet, to this day, Israel has not clued into this. However, the account is given to show us that they will someday get it. 
They will pass through Christ and into the true promise and rest that is only prefigured in this passage. But it is certain that not just Israel is included in the story. God sent Christ Jesus into the world to redeem man, all men from all nations who will come to him through faith in what Jesus has accomplished. This is as obvious as the nose on one's face when looking at the greater picture. Israel to this day thinks that everything in scripture is about them and that God's Messiah will come to them and place them above all people. In some ways, this is true. It is what has been prophesied in scripture. But the promise of a Messiah goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Israel only came about as God's covenant people in mid-Exodus, even if the line became clearer in many ways at the time of Abraham. In other words, Jesus is the Christ of all (coughs) nations who descend from Adam. The select line in scripture is narrowed down for the purpose of bringing him into the world so that he could then accomplish the necessary redemptive requirements for it to be so. Once that is complete, the offer is made to any and to all who will come to him. Ironically, the very people who think that they are his chosen people are currently not God's people because of their failure to recognize this. Both Paul and Peter state that explicitly in their epistles. That will be corrected. But for now, the offer is open to anyone who will receive it. Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, the call is made. Come to Jesus. And so may you do so today. Jesus Christ is the point and the purpose of everything in Scripture. It's not about you. It's not about Israel. It's not about us getting to go to heaven. It is about Jesus, okay? Going to heaven is the result of what Jesus has done for the people of the world, but that's not the purpose. The purpose is to bring God glory, and he is doing that through the incarnation, the person of Jesus Christ coming in the flesh and living out the law that stands against us, that only brings condemnation because the man who does the things of the law will live by it. And nobody can do the things of the law. And that's the lesson of the Old Testament. I'm giving you this law to show you how desperately you need my grace. And so Christ came, born under the law, born of a virgin. No sin in him because his father is God. Born under the law, he's qualified to take away our sins. Is he capable of doing it? That's what the Gospels are for. They're recorded to show us that Christ lived under the law without sinning. And then he gave up that precious life in exchange for our sins. That's the doctrine of substitution. I'm going to take this animal down to the temple, and I'm going to place my hands on its head, and I'm going to confess my sins over it, and then I'm going to cut its throat and bleed it out. It's a picture of the death of Jesus Christ, the substitution, our sins placed upon him. He made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is what God has done in Jesus. And there is no other way to be reconciled to God. If one person on this planet can come to God apart from Jesus Christ, then his coming was pointless. I'm sorry for the Roman Catholic Church that says that Mary was kept out of original sin. I'm sorry for them because that is a heresy. It says that God could do it, and therefore Jesus Christ's death was pointless. We cannot come to God apart from going through the descender, through Jesus Christ and his shed blood. 
please call on him today. The Bible says that Christ died for your sins, implying you're a sinner. Christ was buried, meaning he was really dead with your sin. And Christ rose again, meaning that he is God because the wages of sin is death and all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, he is God incarnate and your sin is still in the grave. Thank God for Jesus Christ. Please believe that gospel today and be reconciled to him. I've got a closing verse here from Matthew 3. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And we talked about this last week. This is the exact spot where Israel crossed over. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He's pleased in Jesus Christ, and therefore he is pleased in those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Not what you do, but what he has done. Next week is Joshua 4, it's verses 15 through 24. Those others aren't to be left alone, it is true. It's entitled 12 Stones. Part 2. That'll be our eighth Joshua sermon. Thank you, Jay. And the Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It is he who defeated the enemy and who now offers his people rest. So follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay? I got a poem for you and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper. This is called 12 Stones, Part 1. And it came to pass when all the people, as the words are so relaying, had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, as I am now conveying, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm, from that very site. You shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where you rest tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe, and Joshua said to them, so he did tell, cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan as to you I tell, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come saying, what do these stones mean to you? What I say, that is what you shall then be relaying. And you shall answer them, that the waters of the Jordan were cut off, their momentum was lost, before the ark of the covenant of the Lord went it over the Jordan crossed. The waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. This is how it is, directed by me. And the children of Israel did so. Just as Joshua commanded, then took up 12 stones from the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua, as the divine word demanded, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them, just one each, not a pair, to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. Then Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, putting them on display in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood and they are there to this day. So the priests who bore the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan, their knees not getting weak, until everything was finished, that the Lord had commanded Joshua to the people to speak. According to all that Moses had Joshua commanded, and the people hurried and crossed over as the situation demanded. 
Then it came to pass when all the people had crossed over completely, that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the people they all could see. And the men of Reuben, the men of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over without haw or hem, armed before the children of Israel, as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 prepared for war, crossed over before the Lord for battle, to the plains of Jericho. The clash of their swords and spears surely made quite a rattle. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. So the word does tell. Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true, and we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Okay, you guys came here to see Sergio and Rhoda today, and you're going to get a special blessing from Sergio. Here we go. Now I'm even more nervous. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the chance to come into your presence and to share in your word and to share with other believers when we take the uh, Lord's Supper. What an honor it is to remember the death of Christ until he comes. And Lord, this week, we as a a collective group would like to raise up our president, Donald Trump, Mm -hmm. and to give him wisdom and give him strength to endure the evil, wicked attacks that are coming against him. The trials he is facing, most people would buckle under. But Lord, we know that you've raised him up to be a leader at this time in this nation. So continue to strengthen him, given that wisdom that we request, and just bless him in his heart and in his soul in the week ahead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.